So we are continuing in our series, You Asked For It. And as we said, there are a couple of things which came together. One of the requests was to talk about understanding the Bible, all right? And we said that a couple of things go together. Prayer, effective prayer, hearing God, and the Bible. Those three go together. That's why these last two weeks, we've been talking about, first of all, prayer, and then last week about hearing God. And today, the Bible, because these three, they go together. You cannot really hear God unless you can connect with the Bible, know the Bible. But for some people, the Bible is a, a really a, a, a difficult book. Now, imagine that you go on a holiday and you're looking for a book. You want a bestseller. You want something with intrigue, with, uh, with political involvement. You want something with lots of action. You want some romance. You want some historical account. You want some philosophy. You want maybe some poetry as well. Is there such a bestseller? And the answer is yes. It's called the Bible. It's got all that. I remember as, you know, look, I, I kind of grew up in church, and so I was always kind of used to having a Bible around and going to church and getting them read the Bible. And um, just before going to school, I couldn't wait to learn to read because I had already, I, I had my Bible already, and I couldn't read. I just opened all this, this black ink on white paper, made no sense, and I couldn't wait to learn how to read so that I could read my own Bible. Now I'd love sitting and reading the parables of Jesus and so on, and as I got older, in my teen years, I discovered all those intriguing stories in, in the book of, of Kings and, and, uh, and so forth. And so Samuel, all these fights, these wars, these ruthless things. And it's amazing stuff which goes on there. And so this book's got something for everyone. But you need to know how to handle this book. And so for some people, they say, oh, this is such a confusing book. For example, you go to, chapter, uh, to Proverbs chapter, chapter 24, and he says, my son, eat honey because it's good. You go to the next chapter, and he says, hey, it's not good to eat too much honey. So what is it? Do I eat honey or don't I eat honey? The answer is go and find out, okay? Go and read, because if you read the context, you understand what it means. And so some people say there are sections that are hard to understand, and maybe if you're reading, there are some sections hard to understand, Ezekiel has a vision, and then he writes about this vision, and he said he saw these angels. What is going on? And so some sections are a little bit difficult. Author Mark Twain, he said the following. Most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture they do not understand. But the passages that bother me are those I do understand. <laughs> It's one thing to read about the will within a will and make no sense of it. It's another to be reading and say, whoops, I've got to forgive him? I've got to forgive her? Oh, my dad bothers me. Love your enemies. Oh, come on. I understand that. But it bothers me. <laughs> All right? And so we have to understand what, what, is going, what is going on over there, you know. So other people say, no, it is, it, is very, it is very easy. Some people think it's easy to understand. Theologian Kierkegaard, he seemed to think that the Bible is very easy. He, he said the following, the Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians, <laughs> we are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well 
that the minute we understand or the minute we admit we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly, <laughs> right? The minute I say, oh, I understand, then you gotta do it. And we rather pretend we don't understand. What, what, what? Then <laughs> admit to understand, and then you're bound, then you're stuck. You gotta do it. So, what do you agree? You agree with it? Eh? Sometimes you feel like that? Now, one thing is true. If you're going to study the Bible, then we better be ready to apply what it says. As Pastor Francis Chan says, don't fall into the trap of studying the Bible without doing what it says. If you're going to study the Bible, if you're going to read it, you better be ready to do what it says. Because the Bible is no ordinary book. This book has been chased down. People have died for this book. People have died because of this book. It is a powerful book. Now, there are many religious books. Every religion has a book. Why does this one stand out? Why does this book bother so many people? Because of the nature of the book. And interesting today, in, in this message, uh, I'll be talking about the Bible. I'm not going to dig very much into it. But it's just to, to, to clarify, according to the request, how the Bible works. Now, one reason people have difficulty reading the Bible is because they approach the Bible as any other religious book or as any other book, as books in general. Normally, when you get a book, what you do? You go to the beginning of the book. You go to page one, chapter one, and you read the book, and you read the book, and you read the book until the last chapter of the book, and you close it, and the book is done. And if you tried reading your Bible like that, you know, it's pretty frustrating. The first couple of chapters are okay. And then you get to the begat chapters. And so and so begat so and so. And so and so begat so and so. And lived so many hundred years and died. And so and so begat so and so. Ah! How long does this go for? It seems to make no sense. To some people. But the Bible is not meant to be read like that. Now, have you ever read a book or an article or a note written by someone that you know? I, I don't know about you guys, but when I was in primary school and in secondary school, sometimes the guys and the girls would pass little notes to each other. There's some girl I got my eye on and next thing I get a note from her. You know, or, hmm. <laughs> huh? Means so much. Why? Because number one, you know who wrote it. And, and number two, there's some emotional chemistry there between you and the person. Huh? Well, this book is like that as well. Because this book is not meant to be just another book on the shelf. This book is written by someone who loves you very much. And if you understand, if you know the author of the book, it changes everything. When you read a book written by someone that you know, 
you read that book with different insight. It makes sense. You get in the pages. Dio right now is reading a book written by a guy from the village that she grew up in as a child. And as she's reading this book, she remembers those people and, and she knows those things. So as she's reading this book, it gets, kind of transports her to that reality because you connect with the history of it. Now, if you give that book to some German guy or to some Australian guy or to some American guy, he's going to read, hmm, nice prose, nice turn of phrase, interesting story, very analytical, very intellectual, no heart connection. Same thing with this book. For some people, they open the book, oh, lovely philosophy. Oh, this Jesus dude, he was some guy, wasn't he? And oh, wow, you know, that's an interesting thing. Wow, that's pretty challenging. <laughs> but some of us will open this book and go, wow. What is this about me? Oh man, come on. Really? You mean that? Oh. And next thing you cry and there's tears coming out. Oh, come on. And somebody will say, oh, Are you crazy? It's just a book. It's not just a book. A Bible. <laughs> so let's look at some facts about the Bible. And see if it helps us make more sense and understand the Bible more. The book is, the Bible is not one book. That's the first mistake people make. This is a book. It's not one book. The Bible is actually many books. 66 books to be precise. It is a bunch of books. It is a whole volume, a compendium of books over here. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The Old Testament means they were written before Jesus was born. And they will tell you of the creation of the universe and the fall of man and, and, and the birth of the Jewish nation, which God would use to reveal himself and manifest himself to the world and the promise of a coming Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. Then you go to the New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, and they tell the story of the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection to save the world from sin, the fact we celebrated here this morning around the table. The birth of the church and the promise of the return of Jesus to bring peace to the whole world. Now, these books, they took time to be written and compiled. In fact, it took about 1,600 years, give or take 100 years or so, to be written. It wasn't written by one author, but by around 40 authors. We're not sure exactly how many authors, because one or two book, books we're not quite sure who wrote. For example, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Some, some theologians think it was Paul who wrote it, because it's kind of his literally his style. But Paul, whenever he wrote something, he put his name to it, and there's no name in Hebrew. So we're not quite sure. Was it Paul? Was it one of the disciples of Paul? One of the Christians? But the fact is, the theology is correct. The book belongs in the New Testament. And so it is there. About 40 authors involved in the writing of the Bible. 
They wrote it in three continents, Middle East, Asia, Europe. And there is an amazing single thread of thought throughout the whole book. Although it's many books, there is one story and one single thread of thought in all of these books, which in itself is a miracle. I tell you, I take 10 of you here this morning in this room today. I give you all a piece of paper. I say, write. And I wonder how much connection there would be between these 10 pieces of paper written on the same day by people in the same room. And here we've got 40 different people writing in different continents across hundreds of years. And when you bring these books together, there is one thread, one story, and all pointing towards one person, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament pointing towards him. The New Testament revealing him and his work. Only God could put a project, project like this together. And yet, God does not sugarcoat his years. This book has been inspired. Listen, the people who actually picked up the pen and wrote were human beings, okay? They were people, humans. There was no such thing as automatic writing, you know? Like some of the occultic people do. They pick up a pen and the pen goes off by itself. No. These men, they were inspired to write. And they wrote their stories. They heard what they sensed. God saying, God doing. God is inspiring, but God does not sugarcoat his heroes. He tells it like it is. Whenever we write about somebody, we try to write the best about them, and you kind of hide a bit of their flaws, you know. Not God. Everything is there. David was a man of the God's own heart. But go and read his story. There are times you just want to clap this guy, man. He could be so sweet. He could be so stupid at times. And it's all there. The killing, the murder, the, 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 the immorality, it's all there. Why? So that you and I, as we read this book, it does not separate us, alienate us from the God of this book. If these guys could have all those flaws and still connect with God, find God, you know, be forgiven, be used by God, hey, there's hope for you and me, okay? We can identify with these guys. And if you haven't done some of the things they've done, I guarantee you, once or twice in your life, at least you thought about doing something like this, man. You had better sense, of course, than some of these guys did. But we can identify with the characters, the heroes of the book. So it is wonderful the way it is presented to us. And these books together tell one story. The story of God and his dealings with man. The story of a loving God who created man for fellowship. But man fell away from God. The story points to one person, Jesus, who would come to reconcile man to God. So God and man could live together forever as initially intended in the process there are setbacks and intrigue, but in the end, the world of God will prevail. A loving God. Genesis 1 tells us of the creation of the universe and the creation of man, and God said, it is good. But then Ephesians tells us that before Genesis 1, God had already chosen us and loved us and decided to spend eternity with us. Hallelujah. 
the Bible. Some facts about the Bible. The Bible is not a geography book, but it is geographically correct. Because this Bible, as I said, is a story of man and God. But as it traces the dealings of man and the stories of man and, and so forth, it, it talks about places and so on. And it is geographically correct. Archaeologists have used the Bible to find lost cities and places. They wouldn't know where to look. They come to the Bible and they read, oh, it says it was near that mountain and near that river. Where is that river? No, 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 must be around there. They go and dig and it is there. Wonderful. It is not a history book, but it is historically accurate. As they look at the different stories and so forth, and then they can compare with other writings around the time, they're right, it has falls in, falls here. It falls in this right place. It makes sense because it is historically compatible. It is not a science book, but science confirms its content. For years, the scientific community ridiculed this book. Ridiculed the Bible. Ah, what do these people know about science? For many years, people thought the earth was flat. But in the book of Job, the, 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 the oldest book in the Bible, it talks about the circumference of the world and of the earth. How did he know? For years, Peter, people laughed, the scientists laughed at Peter. What does a fisherman know about science? And Peter goes in his letters and he writes about the elements burning up in the earth. The elements, now it's the air burning up. And the scientist said, is, what is this guy smoking? The elements can't burn. The air can't burn. How can the earth just burn up? <laughs> these fishermen and these Christians believing, this crazy fishermen, until they invented the atomic bomb and the cobalt bomb. And they realized that that's refusion Elements can burn. Have you seen pictures of Hiroshima? In one in instant, that whole city burned up, turned to cinders, given the right reaction. Elements, the air can burn. They're not laughing at Peter anymore. At one stage, hundreds of years ago, they thought, they counted the stars. They said, there is exactly 1,000 stars. And they laugh because the Bible talks about an uncountable. It's, it's so much you cannot count them. So much there are. <laughs> there it is, a thousand. And as science develops, and as the telescopes improved, they realized, uh-oh, it's a little bit more than a thousand. Like millions, uh, actually billions. And then they put Hubble up there, and they discovered there are billions of galaxies with billions of stars in each one. Sorry, you're right. So it's not a science book, but the, the more science develops, the more it confirms that the Bible is true. So, what is the Bible? And listen, youth, guys, you, you need to help me over here because you guys did a, a, a series a while back where you also studied the Bible. And you learned four things about the Bible, Remember? Anyone can remember what the Bible is before I put it up? Who can tell me? The Bible is what? Anything. Is a what? 
A love letter. Very good. Anything else? A guide. Very good. What else? Something I mentioned around the table. Come on, guys. You got, you got 50%, right? Okay, here we go. Let me take out of misery. Put it up, guys. Four things. Uh, sorry? Invitation. Amen. That's it. Yeah. And one last thing. What, what do we do with the Bible? Are you supposed to read it? Only? Live it. Yeah. Okay. Let's put it up. There you go. It is a love letter. You know what I mentioned earlier on about having that little note from somebody you know? You see, as you begin to develop a relationship with God, you, you, you realize this Bible, this book is alive. It's talking to me. I know the author, and the author knows me. It's a love letter. You know, you go there and you see that God, <laughs> look, the Bible says you must love everybody, okay? It's a command. Whether you like them or not, you must love them. Love meaning the Greek word agape, which means you want the best for the other. Okay? You might not agree with what they do. You don't have to spend your life with them, but you want the best for them. So you pray for them. You, you, you hope that they come right. You want the best for them. That's agape love. Whatever you can do, you do. Whatever is in your capacity and ability, you do so that the best will happen to them. All right, you pray for them, and if you can help them, you help them, uh, so you love them. But God doesn't only love me like, mm, I want the best of all the... The Bible says that God actually likes me. Really. And believe it or not, he likes you too. And I know some of you are difficult to like. <laughs> You're not all as nice as me. On Sunday mornings, I'm so nice. I'm so likable, aren't I? Sunday mornings, yeah. <laughs> we all know we have a bad side, don't we? You know, we all have our moody days and we all throw our toys out of the box sometimes. Ask my wife. Uh, so we know that we are not always likable. And yet, God loves you and he likes you and he wants to spend eternity with you. Yeah. Uh, it's a love letter. It is a guide. This life can be complicated sometimes. So what do you do? Do you call a friend, flip a coin, make a call? Why not go to the author of life? And he can tell you how to do life. So it's a guide. And as you read this book, it is filled with powerful principles that as I apply them, it, it, will, it will guide me to having a meaningful life. It is also an invitation, not just to, to know about God, but an invitation to know the author, to have a relationship with the author of the book. God wants to be involved in our lives, have a relationship with us, and uses the Bible to communicate this truth to us. And the Bible, of course, is meant to be lived, not just to be read, it's not just another piece of literature in your shelf. It is a manual, a handbook. You read it, you do it. You find out, you apply it. It is a book meant to be read. Amen? So why was the Bible written? Number one, for God to reveal himself to people. That's why it was written. It, it, and through the Bible, uh, this infinite God, you know, we are, we are finite, okay? 
There's a time to be born and a time to die. If you live long enough, you're going to die. So there's a time, so we are finite. Finite people, we can get to know this infinite God through the Bible. And get to have a relationship with him so that we can spend eternity with him. So God reveals himself to people through this book. It was also written to reveal to people how to live. You know, we, we, we come into this planet and we, we, we've got these gifts and talents, but we don't always know what to do. And so look at the choices we make. Look around you. Look at the world we live in. And when men are left, left on their own to make choices, and that's what Adam actually chose to do. Instead of allowing God to teach him how to do life, he said, I don't need you, God. I'm going to eat from this tree, and I'm going to be my own lawmaker. I'll decide what is right and what is wrong. Don't need you. Thank you. And look at the beautiful mess we are all in today. We used to live in a garden which had one rule. Imagine living in a world with only one law. Law number one and only law See that tree, look, no touch. That's it. But the man had to go and eat that thing. How many laws do you have today? Huh? Come on. There's a laws in school, laws in the street, laws to drive, laws to this. Ah! And we struggle to keep all those laws. So, go to the Bible. The principles of the Bible, they simplify life for you. And you do what the Bible says, you can have a, have a meaningful life. And of course, to reveal how God communicates with people through time. As you, as you read the Bible, the Old New Testament, you see that God has been communicating differently with people. In the Old Testament, in one way, to the prophets and so on. Then, then Jesus came and revealed to us the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit. And now, wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is there. We've got the Bible to lead us. And God reveals to us how he communicates with people. Throughout time. The following scripture kind of captures all that I've said so far. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says all scripture from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine. Look at that word. Doctrine, okay, which is basically teaching, fundamental teaching. It is profitable for reproof, okay? When you make something wrong, hey, it kind of reproves you, okay? Awakens you up, shows you that you're doing something wrong, all right? And I like that word. It's a good word to wake people up in church when they're sleeping too. Um, it is also profitable for correction. So God doesn't only kind of say, hey, you're wrong. And you, <laughs> he says, he corrects you. So the Bible not only shows you when you're doing something wrong, but it brings correction, shows you how to get back online again. So it's given for doctrine, teaching, shows you how you should do life. But of course, we are silly sometimes and we take a little detour. We go off the way and so the Bible comes and reproves us. Hey, this is wrong. And then God corrects and shows us how to get back in the way again. And it is also profitable for instruction in righteousness. In other words, it helps us to stay in the path that God wants us to go in. So that the man of God or the woman of God, and notice this, he's not talking about preachers here, because the man of God is every man who follows God. The woman of God is every woman who follows God. You're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a follower of Christ, you're a man and a woman of God. 
And so we need the word of God for doctrine, for teaching, to correct us, to put us back in the way, and to keep us going in the way. We all need the Bible. It's not just for preachers and teachers and evangelists. It's for every believer. So that we may be complete, fulfilled, all right? Mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Folks, I encourage you to spend time with the Bible. Armed with this background, very quickly, a simple method to read the Bible. Start by putting some time aside. Very much like you hear the Lord, it's very much the similar thing. Sit down and open your Bible. Start with Scripture. There are different ways of choosing which Scripture. If you want, on your way out, uh, I've got a little pamphlet over there, How Do I Start Reading the Bible? And it's got some suggestions and so how to read it. You can pick up one as you leave today. Um, but take that passage of Scripture and just read it. Okay? Open it. Read the portion that you have chosen. Then number two, spend some time observing. Do some observation. In other words, inquire. What is the thing saying? What did it mean when it was written to the people? What did they understand? What does it mean to me today? What is God telling me today? All right? Do a bit of research. Which, where, where in the Bible is it? Is it the Old Testament? New Testament is going to kind of tell you where in history it happened. Who is it talking to? All right? Is it a prophetic book, a book of poetry, a book of wisdom? You know? Uh, so it helps you. So observe that. But then application. The Bible says in James, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so based on your observation, how does that thought or insight, insight change you or apply to you? You see, the Bible is not about information. It's about transformation. Okay? You get the info to be transformed, not just to get a big head. You want to apply that information. So read your scripture, make observations, ask questions, try, you know, how does it apply to me? What did he hear? What? Think about that. And let the Holy Spirit, because you see, before you, you read the Bible, obviously, just ask God, speak to me today through your word, and the Holy Spirit will be there. And as you read, the Holy Spirit is going to highlight something to you. You might read a verse, it seems to jump out at you. Make a note of that. Application. Then in the end, prayer. Respond to God in prayer. Telling him about what you've just read. You need, you need maybe help in doing that, or you need to understand it better. Talk to God about it. You see, it's communication. We were talking about last week about hearing God. This is the first way God speaks to you is through the Bible. Have a conversation with God as you read the Bible. Talk to God before you read it. As you read it, let him talk to you. Pray about it. And if you take the first letter of those four words, it spells soap, okay? That's the soap method of reading your Bible. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. There are many ways of doing it. This is just one simple suggestion I'm sharing with you to kind of help you. But just like you apply soap to your body every day, apply soap to your Bible every day, to your life, sometime with Scripture, observation, application, prayer. It will do wonders for your life, wonders for your spiritual life, wonders to your relationship with God and to your relationship as we live. Now, Jesus is God, yet as a man, Jesus took time to read and to get to know scriptures. And if it was important to Jesus, how much more should it be important to you and I? And together, with prayer, with listening to the Lord, the word of God becomes alive to us and is a powerful tool to develop our faith 
and to deepen our relationship with the Lord. I, church, I encourage you all, let us be readers and doers of the Word of God. Amen. 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 Praise God. Make sure you've got one, either in book form or in your phones. These days it's so easy. There's a, a, a new version of the Bible, different translations, and you can even listen to it, and it's free. So nobody has an excuse not to have a Bible these days, okay? So get yourself a Bible and spend time daily with the Word of God. Amen. End of message for today. We're going to close in prayer just now. When I say amen, all those of you uh, planning to be baptized, come and meet me right in front here. We're going to meet right in front here and have a quick chat about next Sunday. If, even if you did not give your name for baptism, but you'd like to be baptized, just come and join us in front, no problem, and we can talk about that. Amen. So let's have a great week. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit on our baptismal service, a little bit about calling. There were some questions about calling, understand, you're getting to know uh, how God speaks to you, calling and guidance. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I know it's a very vast field, can be quite confusing to you, but I hope to bring some clarity to that, and that'll be next week during our baptism service. So come, bring a friend, and you're going to have a nice, wet service. It's going to be a great service as we celebrate the baptism of a bunch of uh, believers here today. Let's all stand up and pray, please. My Father, thank you that you communicate with us. You are not a silent God. You speak to us in so many ways and very clearly through your word, the Bible. Father, I pray for each one under the sound of my voice. Help us to understand your word and to help others understand the Bible too, Lord God. Unlock this book for us, Father. Unlock your word for us that it might be not just black ink on white paper, but words of life coming to us from your love letter to us, my Father. So thank you for a blessed day, a blessed week, for your protection upon every life. You know, Father, each one of your present, every family, you know those struggling with issues, my God, and in your word you promise us as we trust in you to meet our every need, to break down the stronghold of the enemy, And so in Jesus' name, I declare over every family, every household represented here in this meeting and under the sound of my voice in this recording, I break the power of the enemy over every household. Every bondage is broken in Jesus' name. I release, Father God, financial blessing and and, and healing in Jesus' name. Reconciliation in Jesus' name. Love, restoration in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit working, Father, through your body, through the church, in our lives, in our families, for your glory and for your honor. And so now may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain upon each one of us until the day we see you face to face, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God. Bless you. Have a great day. Enjoy some fellowship. Thank you so much. God bless you.